Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. What a privilege to be here in North Little Rock with Brother Holmes and uh, my dear friend, his family, Brother Nathan Holmes, and all of you men and women of God in this great church. To all of my elders and fellow ministers and missionaries, evangelists, what a privilege it is to be in this place tonight. How many feel like you're privileged to be here in the presence of the Lord? Amen. Amen. For the last number of years, my family and I have come to camp meeting and at different times to the youth meeting and uh, I can't hardly get through the summer without my family wanting to go to Little Rock to be at Mecca. Amen. So it's it's good to be here and good to see all my friends and I'm looking forward to all of the preaching uh, this week and uh, what a privilege to be here and what a great job musically. Have you been blessed by all the singing and music tonight? you have your Bible, Romans the 16th chapter, and we will read one verse of scripture, Romans chapter 16, and in all honesty, I don't know if I have ever heard anybody in my entire life preach from this verse, and when I read it, there may be a smile as you uh, wonder why. But if you'll stay with me, maybe it'll make sense. Romans chapter 16 and verse number 16. Salute one another with an holy kiss. Now you know why not many people preach from that text. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now I'm not going to tell you to turn to your neighbor and kiss them. And my title tonight is, When the Kissing Stops. When the Kissing Stops. Put your Bible down. Let's ask the Holy Ghost to fill this house and touch somebody's life. Lift your voice. Let's talk to God on this first night of camp meeting that the Holy Ghost would touch us. God, let your power move up and down the aisles and the pews of this sanctuary today. Let your power prevail. Reign supreme in this house. Let your heaven touch this earth tonight by the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Clap your hands and give God praise in this house one more time. (coughs) Hallelujah. You may be seated. Amen. When the kissing stops. Right now, I think I probably have your attention more than at any other point in my message. Because you're wondering where in the world we are going from this passage. I actually had an elder tell me one time this was the only verse in the Bible he didn't believe. But these are the closing remarks of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. His final words contain a list of names. We didn't take the time to read them. But there is a list of names and there are proper responses that are spoken 
that the people, the reader, should act accordingly. He said in verse number 16, after moving through a list, and he will pick that list up a little later, but he says in verse 16, salute one another with an holy kiss. Now, for our Western mind that has been sexualized by Hollywood and everything else around us in media and marketing, a kiss has a particular meaning. But in the scripture, and at the time of Paul's writing of this letter, and even to the Middle Eastern mind, this is nothing more than a particular greeting. It would be equivalent to you and I shaking hands. If you are to go to the Middle East, which I have a number of times, you are still greeted as cheek is pressed to cheek and then removed and then the other cheek. It is nothing sexual in nature, but is rather just like shaking hands for that particular part of the world. But I want you to notice the setting of this particular verse, verse 16. He opens this closing chapter in verse number one. He said, I want you to receive Phoebe, our sister. He begins to describe her and says she is a servant of the Lord. He says, I want to commend her. He said, so that you would receive her. That word receive in the original means to admit her. Admit her into your fellowship. Admit her into the circle here of faith. And he said, you need to treat her as becometh saints. He begins to go down the list. And now he brings up a couple that we know well in scripture. He, he says, and concerning Priscilla and Aquila, he said, they are my helpers. He describes them further in detail and says they personally laid down their necks for my sake. They had no doubt been part of that group that had been uh, kicked out. Christians as Claudius had demanded that the Christians leave uh, a particular place. And here they were at great risk, no doubt, to take care of the Apostle Paul. And Paul said, I, I want you to pay close attention. He said, I want you to greet Priscilla and Aquila who gave their neck for me. And he said, the word greet there means to enfold or to take in your arms. And when they arrive or you see them, would you wrap an arm around them, greet them, wrap your arms of love around this particular couple. He continues on in his writing to the church at Rome. And he says, Apinatus, he said, salute which is the same word that we read in our text, which means to greet. He said, who was the first fruits, or rather the founding member of the church. And you need to give special attention to this great man of God. He was the first convert of the church. And notice he's building a pattern here that you are to greet, you are to salute, you are to take within your arms and welcome them into the circle of fellowship. And then he mentions a lady by the name of Mary. He said, greet her also. Then he mentions Andronicus and Junia. He said, these are my kinsmen. And he said, they, everybody say they, they are noted among the apostles. Imagine that a woman named among the apostles. I, I guess I better move on, but uh, he said, salute them. 
Amplius and Urbane and Stachys and Apelles and that of the household of Aristobulus. And then he goes on to talk about Herodian's kinsmen. We're not sure if Herodian was saved or whether it was just his extended family. And then Tryphena and Trophosa and Perseus and Rufus and Rufus's mother. He said, greet them, salute them, welcome these people, treat them as becomes saints. These are people that you should welcome in your fellowship. These are people when they walk in the door of the house of God, put an arm around them, grab them by the hand, kiss them on the cheek and welcome them into the family of God. In these verses, 16 times the apostle Paul Encourages the church to extend their love to this list of people. You're the church. These are your brothers and sisters. These are the people that have given their life and have served and have been there. And some of them preceded you in the faith. And even some of them preceded me, the mighty apostle. They have preceded me, so treat them accordingly. If I gain anything in the beginning of this message from this text, I think what we need is a fresh baptism of the love for one another in the apostolic church. There are some men and women in this building tonight that need an arm put around their shoulder. There are some brothers and sisters uh, that have gone before. They were in Christ before you were. There are some preachers of the gospel that have laid down their blood, sweat, and tears so that you and I could be in this room. God baptize us with a fresh love for the body of Christ. I thank God for every preacher in this room. I thank God for every missionary. I thank God for every saint of God. God, let us feel a love for the apostolic church and extend the hand of fellowship to those that preach this gospel. What has happened to the church when we don't treat one another as become saints? We hold the same doctrine and tear one another apart. We need a baptism of the love of God for the body of Christ. Have you forgotten that Christ died for that brother or sister that's sitting on the pew next to you? God, retouch my spirit with a love for the apostolic church. Hallelujah. We need to learn again to value and cherish and to strengthen one another. He said, salute one another with an holy kiss. Verse 21 through 23, he again picks up a list. And this time he's telling them that salutations are coming to them. He says, Timothy and Lucius and Jason, and his list goes on. He said, they salute you. And this is, if you take the time to look through this list, I know how it is. We, we read these names and we read the begats and we read the laws and we skip over the, the powerful things that are hidden there. And, and, and you see this list of names and they're hard to say. Mom and dad must have been smoking crack when they named most of these kids. And so they're hard to decipher and they're hard to understand. And we don't know a lot about uh, what they did. And we don't know a lot about who they are and who their kinsmen were. And so we just skip on over. But, but if you pay any attention, you figured out by the end of this chapter 
There's a whole lot of hugging and kissing going on. There's a whole lot of love that's being extended to the body of Christ. There's a whole lot of reminding going forth that you need to treat these people as become saints. Except I noticed one strange little verse right in the middle of all the hugging and the kissing. Verse number 17, we're talking about greet, embrace 16 times and all of a sudden we come to a screeching halt and the kissing stops. And Paul said, now, everybody shout now, Now. mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. In the middle of all the sloppy agape, all the hugging, the embracing, the kissing, the commending, and the bragging, he says, now, Mark those that are contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Mark them. Everybody say, mark them. I'm in Arkansas, so I ought to have some help here. You know what that word mark means in the original? It's from the word scopeo, from which we get scope, like the scope of a rifle. He said, when you get to the house of God or to the Bible conference or the camp meeting or at the restaurant, he said, you're hugging everybody and you're treating everybody as become saints. But when you see someone who is contrary to the doctrine that has been preached to you, he said, you better zero in and put your scope right on them. You better mark them. There comes a point where the kissing stops in the apostolic church. I thank God for everybody that's gone on before me. I thank God for brothers and sisters and the song and the choir and the crowd and the camp meeting. But I've come to remind somebody, not everybody preaches truth. Not everybody's standing for righteousness. And the apostle Paul said, while you're kissing and hugging, you better make sure you pay attention to the ones that are contrary to the doctrine that has been preached to you. He said, you better mark them. You better zero in on them. You've been, you need to be well aware they are amidst the congregation. You better be well aware they are where they are in your youth group. You better be well, they are, well aware of where they are when they're preaching in your circle. Now, for clarification, he didn't say those that I don't get along with. He didn't say those that wasn't in my club. He didn't say those that aren't in the same card-carrying group I'm in. 
There's even place where he, they came to him and said, you know what, people are preaching the gospel for, for money's sake. And they're, they're contrary. And all through that, he said, hey, the gospel's being preached. There's a lot of people that I'm not going to go camp out with and we're not going to go just hang out and tell family stories. Uh, but I want to tell you, if they're preaching truth, it don't matter if they're my best friend or not. You better not put your tongue on them. You better keep your mouth off of them like the man of God already said. But when it comes to apostolic doctrine, when it comes to the truth that has been handed to the apostolic church, you better make yourself well aware of those that are among you. Tell your neighbor, say, the kissing stop. I'm not just preaching to preachers tonight. This is a camp meeting. This isn't just a preacher's conference, even though there's a bunch of us here, but we're all saints of God. Did you know there's some people you don't need to run with? I set a young man down Wednesday. I took him to lunch in my church who had been through about a year of struggle and, and hard things in his family and, and his situation and, and on the verge of just walking away from God and, and being pulled away from God. And we sat down over a bowl of chili at Wendy's. Boy, just, I, I was feeding him high on the hog that day. Boy, God touched him in the last little while and he's been growing in grace. And, and I looked across the table and I said, well, tell me what you've learned through this year of struggle. Tell, tell me what you've learned now that you, you're making your way back. And he ducked his head and he said, Pastor, I, I guess the main thing I've learned is there's some people I got to cut out of my life. Some of you wonder why you're struggling living for God. Look around who you've been running with. Look around at those that are contrary to what your pastor preaches. Look around and see those that are putting things in your spirit that are alien to what God's spoken to your life. Not only baptize us with a love for the body, but baptize us with a revelation of those that are against truth. Preacher, you, you, you're not showing the love of Christ. The key to who you cut off is those that are contrary to doctrine. There are people in my life and in your life and in this church and in every church in here, there are people that are going to stumble. There are going to be young people that fall. There are going to be friends that fall. There's going to be people that get cold in their spirit. There are going to be people that make terrible mistakes. There are people that go through the unfolding of life and struggle and background and things they've wrestled with and they fall flat on their face. That's not who Paul's talking about. How many times have I prayed him through it? How many times have I prayed her through? Well, you know what? I'm going to keep on praying him through. I'm going to go. If it takes 10 years, I'm going to keep loving. I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to grab him and put an arm around him and say, come on, honey. You can make it. You may be here tonight and you're away from God and you stumbled into sin and even your own rebellion. But if you hadn't turned against the preacher and you hadn't turned against truth, I'll put a hand out and pull you to an altar. 
Oh, hallelujah. I still believe in his grace. I still believe in his mercy. I still believe God can save the backslider. We'll love you. We'll care for you. Some of the stories in this room, if people would begin to testify, they would tell you about how low they have been, how far from God they walked, and how far they walked into their sin and failure and fell flat on their face. And if some say we fell into sin and others got up on the high dive and dove into it. We know about that. The kingdom of God is about restoration and redemption. We'll love, we'll reach, we'll touch, we'll call, we'll email. We'll, we'll, we'll take you to get a cup of coffee at one of the 15 cafes in this church. But there comes a point when the kissing stops. This church is patient, this church is loving, this church is kind. But when... You are contrary to the doctrine that is preached. And when you begin to cause division among the body. Scopeo. You want to raise the hackles of an apostolic preacher? You, you want to get an old prayer warrior stirred up in the church? You want to get a faithful saint of God against you? You, you start working against the man of God in the church. Hallelujah. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't have a perfect church. I got people that have been coming to my church for a long time that still ain't figured it out. I, I have people that come to church that came and liked the music and came and liked the whatever it was we did. And, and they haven't figured out that I'm mean like everybody else tells them. And they come to church and, and they come and, and you know what? I'm content to let them because at some point the Holy Ghost can touch them. And, and I, I'm not going to get up and throw stones. I'm going to preach truth and I'm going to reach for them. But the moment they start working against what God's doing in that church. When they start meeting people in the coffee shop and say, well, I don't see it that way. The moment that they get on the phone and begin to call that young person and say, Hey, I want to talk to you because I got a little revelation about what pastor preached last night. When they start having their little prayer meeting around the corner with two or three other friends that they met on the internet and start talking about what to preach. I want to tell you something. It ain't hug and kissy. And no hug and no kissy and lick. Keep your hands to yourself. When you start getting there, the kingdom is coming against you. I'll give you everything I can to help you. But when you move contrary to the doctrine that is preached. He said, for they are such that serve not the Lord. Don't fool yourself. It doesn't matter how they dress it up and spiritualize it up. They are not such that serve the Lord. But they are serving their own belly. We're talking about self-willed people. We're talking about people that are into self-gratification. People that are trying to fill their selfish appetites. 
He went on, he said, by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the heart of the simple. Do you know that word deceive actually is seduce? The seduction of the self-centered person, contrary to the doctrine preached in your apostolic church, is every bit as strong as the temptation and seduction of the strange woman in the book of Proverbs. In fact, in Scripture, they're so closely connected that in the seventh chapter or the seventh proverb in verse number 10, he said, Behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot. Verse 13, she caught him and kissed him. Spiritual perversion and moral perversion are so close that sometimes you can't even tell the difference. And the harlot turned to this man and said, I have peace offerings I have paid my vows she's spiritualizing her compromise verse 21 said with her fair speech look it up the word speech is doctrine he's talking about a harlot he's talking about immorality and in the middle of it he said with her fair doctrine in the word of God Immorality and spiritual perversion and compromise are so closely connected, he goes back and forth in his word between the two. And while I'm here, this generation had better wake up and understand there's a seductress out there. Immorality is destroying more than one one good apostolic preacher. More than one good apostolic family in your church. It seems like every month we turn around, some new story's breaking about some ministry and some godly family and some leader in the church and some family or wife or husband that's traded it all in for somebody they met on the internet or Facebook or at the coffee shop. Or, hey, I want to tell you, there is a seductive spirit that is out to destroy men and women of God and take from you your family and take from you your ministry and take from you your children and your future. Somebody better start preaching more than we've ever preached before. There's an enemy that wants to destroy good, godly churches. Preacher, you're not exempt. And father, you're not exempt. And mother, you're not exempt. We love as preachers to talk in church to talk about apostolic preaching. Boy, it's sharper than the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we love to talk about the power of praise and and praise in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. But have you forgotten there's another two-edged sword in the scripture? And it is the sword of the strange woman. The strange woman, the Bible said her lips drop as the honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil but her end is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword 
preacher and father and mother, don't you ever forget, even if you are in a one God tongue talking Holy Ghost preaching church, with that two-edged sword of the Word of God, there is another sword in that congregation that can match sword to sword with the preacher. It is the two-edged sword of the strange woman. That's why we got to preach like we've never preached before. Oh, we got to take a stand in our personal lives. Yeah, I don't care how good you can preach. On your own, you can't handle her sword. I know you can cut with wit and you can cut with humor and you can wield the sword of the word of God. But the moment you let your life and your own character begin to weaken, there is another sword that can rise up. Everybody, you may be seated, understands the fall. We're quick to pray and we're quick to recognize the fall of ministry into immorality. We know how to preach about that, don't we? Because it hurts. It's painful. To sit in an office and look at a, a wife whose husband has just stepped out. And looking at kids that are waiting in a parking lot as daddy tells them bye to run off with some hoochie mama somewhere. I've been there. I've been there. Trying to put them all back together and try to talk them through it and get them through the night and tell them everything's going to be all right and just every day is another hellish morning. But how many of my generation may keep their marriage but lose their apostolic heritage. See, it's the same spirit. No wonder he said right here the kissing stops. Greet everybody, salute everybody, but when there's one that shows up in your church, And shows up in your youth group. I'm not just preaching to preachers. I'm preaching to young people here tonight. Young person, you'd do yourself a whole lot of help. If you would recognize those in the youth group that aren't lining up to the message that is preached. loving the lost brother young well let's talk about that let's talk about loving the lost remember that chapter about all the lost things you got a lost coin a lost what else bishop tell me what was it lost sheep and a lost son you ever know that's lost stuff the lost coin was in the house I've lost some people in the youth group I've lost some people in my church Because, I'll just be honest, maybe I didn't handle things just right. Or maybe I didn't treat them just right. Or maybe a clique got in the church and the youth group offended this one and caused that person to stumble and fall. I'll tell you what you do with that one that's lost in the house. You clean house. You look in where you start working on you and you start cleaning everything around. And you clean that house until you get that one back where it needs to be. 
And then there's the lost sheep. That's those that kind of just wander away or, or get led away. And I'll tell you what you do, preacher, and you do family and father. You start walking all through the night. You do what you got to do to go find that one lost sheep. But that wasn't the only lost thing in that chapter. There was a lost son that was contrary to what his daddy's farm stood for. And when that boy said, Dad, give me my money, I'm out of here. The daddy didn't go chase after him. The daddy didn't get on the phone. The daddy didn't get on the internet and stay hooked up with Facebook with it. The daddy said, I'll be right here until you get back. You see, some of us are trying to save some prodigals when we need to let them go. The only way they're going to come back is if daddy's still at home. And honey, when they make the turn and come back, get off the porch and run to them. Some of you are debating. Some of you are trying to convince wayward family members and friends and trying to prove to them apostolic doctrine while they debate you. You know what I'm telling Let them go. Let them go. They're contrary to what you've been taught. You may be seated. Well, that don't sound like the love of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul said, I wrote to you about fornication in the church. And I told you, don't keep company with fornicators. And he said, yet not altogether with fornicators, because uh, you must need to go out of the world to do that. I mean, you, you, you can't even live in this world without dealing with fornicators. You talk to fornicators today at the restaurant. You work with fornicators. I mean, Paul said you'd, you'd have to leave the world to not be around fornicators. He's not talking about lost people. He said in verse 11, if the man that is called a brother be a fornicator with such a one, don't eat. I'm not preaching don't reach to the lost sinner. I'm not preaching don't reach for the lost sheep and the lost corn. I'm preaching to you those that are contrary to what is preached to you and what you've been taught and what you've grown up in. This apostolic faith that has been handed to you, that's who I'm preaching about. I've lived long enough to figure out nobody backslides anymore. I don't have hardly any backsliders. They're all now theologians. They're all, they're all Bible scholars. They know a little Greek. Runs a restaurant down on the corner. Well, they have turned into the, the most enlightened, illumined people. For once, I would just like to look somebody in the eye and they look at me and say, I'm a sinner. I know it's wrong, but I just want to wear these pants. Pastor, I know it's right, but I, I'm just, I'm in, I'm in a funk here and I'm just going to cut my hair. But that ain't what I'm meeting with. 
The folks that I'm dealing with, they got new revelations. They, they don't just feel obligated to go do what they want to do. They want to convince 25 others in the youth group that what they're doing is scriptural. They're not content to leave my church. They want to make sure they got 15 people with them at the coffee shop to talk about everything we're doing wrong. Is it? I mean, that may not be the way in Arkansas, but that's the way it is out in California. You know, I got one problem. For me to go with all of your new revelations, you're telling me that the doctrine that was handed to me was wrong. There is no either or where it's, well, you know, it's, it's sweet and it's good and it's cute. But this is right. No, 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 you're wrong. There is no middle ground. You either believe apostolic doctrine or you're against apostolic doctrine. I understand you may fall and you may have even made some mistakes and even rebelled a time or two. But until you're contrary, I'm going to help. I'm going to reach. But when you turn against the preacher of the gospel in an apostolic church, you have awoken a preacher that is going to mark you and take aim against you. No, this is a battle. That's not going to go away. We are, we're, we're so connected. We can't even eat grits without Instagramming it. We can't tie our shoes without Twittering about it. Some of y'all can't even get through church without tweeting somebody. Where are you sitting? It's only going to get worse. Because that internet has given us the ability for a doctor to look at you and say, take three of these pills and call me in the morning. And we can take that bottle home and pull up whatever strange name that is and we can find 252 pages about what that pill does. And we can come back to our doctor and say, uh, you know, I, I read about that pill. And we can debate with the doctor. We're now living in a day where people get on the internet after their pastor preaches. And they get on Facebook with all their backslidden friends that used to go to church with you. And in cynicism, they begin to tear apart everything the preacher preached. And begin to find fault. And then they get on forums and begin to tear each other down. Tear preachers down. Tear truth down. And tear the church down. Somebody better start preaching this way to my generation and my kids' generation because it's going to eat us up. It's going to tear us up. It's going to destroy the future of the apostolic church. You better be careful what you keep associating with. 
Have we forgotten what fellowship hath light with? How can two walk together unless they? How can you hang out in social media and share all of that junk knowing what they believe? At what point does your spirit get infected with their disease? Brother Young, you sound like an old-fashioned preacher. No, I'm a modern, postmodern preacher because my kids deal with internet. It ain't passing notes in church. It's Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Somebody better wake up and start preaching to these young people. You've got to be careful who you connect with and who you Facebook with and who you have social media with. Tell you how, how we, we gotta, we gotta take this new world serious. There are things that are happening on the internet with apostolic young people that nobody's speaking about. If there was 25 young people in your church parking lot or in the restaurant parking lot in your town, well, how did I get on this? This isn't in my notes. And those young people were hanging out in that parking lot and there was one apostolic mother or father and they started noticing those kids were doing things that were contrary to what the church preached. That mother or dad or that, that senior youth group would say, hey, 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 we don't need to do that. And young people would say, yes, sir. They'd turn it off. They'd put it away. They'd shut the door. They wouldn't. Well, guess what? In case you hadn't figured it out, your kids ain't hanging out at McDonald's anymore. We hung out at Pasquale's Pizza in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Mr. Gaddy's, and we hung out at Pizza Hut and Pizza Inn. That was where we hung out. But our young people ain't hanging out there. They're hanging out on the Internet. And they're having conversations. And they're back and forth with each other. And some of you adults are just overlooking it. You need to get the same spirit that got on the elders in my church and said, Hey kids, we don't do that. Somebody needs to speak up. That's the only way we're going to save our kids in this generation. Somebody's got to pay attention. I saw it this week. Somebody made some cynical, off-color statement about where they were. And they were from a good apostolic family. And what they were doing, they were from a good apostolic church. Because they went to my church. And by their statement, as soon as I read that statement, a little thing went, But evidently, I wasn't the only one that it went ding with. Because all the comments following said, Oh, I guess you'll be the next subject of the sermon. Since you asked for it, you got it. (laughs) 
You think you're going to play all those little games and attack the ministry and attack this apostolic faith and heritage with your cute little Instagram? Let me tell you something. If you're going to be that bold, we're going to come right back at you. We got our scope on you because you're contrary to apostolic teaching and apostolic truth. You're not going to keep pushing this youth group. You're not going to keep pushing this church. At some point, the kissing's got to stop. The hugging's got to stop. And somebody's got to call it like it is. Some of you value your earthly relationships more than you value your apostolic faith. I've been reading a book by Dr. John Canton, who is a leading futurist, not a palm reader or a crystal ball reader. His office is in San Francisco. He recently wrote a book called Extreme Future. And he said, the future can be predicted. He said, it's a lot simpler than people really know. He said the future is already predetermined. This man has been brought in. He has been before presidents. Almost every president in his lifetime has invited him to come talk about the future. And he sat down with leaders from Africa, Nelson Mandela and many of the others and the leading businessmen of the world and companies bring him in to talk about the future and economics and what's happening with technology and where are we going in the next 20 years as, as a world and, and things that are changing. And, and in his book, he, he tells them, he said, uh, all of you politicians, all of you CEOs, all of you business owners, the future is already determined. He said, the way you read the future is understand, first of all, that the future is riddled with great change and risk and challenges. He said, but the future is determined by patterns and trends in the present. And he said, the future becomes the point where trends and patterns converge. He said, you want to know what your future looks like? What are the patterns that are coming together? What are the trends that are coming together? He was brought in by FedEx to talk about the future. Set them down. They come into the room. They pay this man hundreds of thousands of dollars to predict the future for their company and business. FedEx leaders comes in, sits around the table. He opens his comments and kicks them off. And in just a few moments, the Hamby... He looks at them and said, we're going to play a game now. They smirk and look at one another. You mean we're going to play games? Yeah, we're going to play a game called Kill Your Future. And he said, the object of this game is to kill FedEx. You're the operators, you're the thinkers, you're the leaders of this company. And he said, I want you to take out a piece of paper and I want you to kill the future of FedEx. He said, I want you to create scenarios that if they were to happen in the next 10 years, how would they kill your company? And over the next hour or so, 
they begin to lay out current trends and patterns in their company. That if they were not dealt with, their competition would ultimately destroy their business. And he said, the moment, hear me apostolic preacher and apostolic father and mother, he said, the moment you figure out what can kill your company, you now have figured out what your priorities are. He said, you better do everything in your power to stop those scenarios from unfolding in your life. And I look around the apostolic movement today and I see a whole lot of trends and a whole lot of patterns and a whole lot of attitudes that are sneaking into the church. And I can just understand that if those things are left unchecked, there are going to be some trends and patterns that converge 20 years from now. And there won't be an apostolic church in your future. But as for me i want to make sure i'm fighting with everything inside of me i want to make sure i'm standing for truth with all that i have father you better ask yourself what would kill your marriage you better ask yourself what would kill your family and then you better work with everything inside of you to make sure it never enters your marriage You may be seated, musicians come. Well, what happened to you? How'd you get so radical? They're gonna say that. Oh, you're just, you drank the juice. You bought into it. They brainwashed you. And then they start talking, tearing down the truth and tearing down separation and tearing down holiness and tearing down. You know, it's not long. I've seen those people, everything they tear down, that's not where they stop. And you may be here and you're new to this whole thing and you're figuring it out. I'm not preaching to you. I'm not preaching to that struggling young person. I'm not preaching to that struggling saint. I'm not preaching to that one that, that, that you're just here because it's camp meeting and you thought you'd come. I'm preaching about those that are working against apostolic faith. And you don't have to be very wise or very discerning to figure out there's some stuff working against the truth right now. I love to sing, I love to dance. I love to get my praise on. I, you can ask my friends. I love it more than any of you all. I like it so much I get in trouble. They eat me for lunch on them forums. But you know what? More than all that, I love apostolic truth. Somewhere, young preacher, somewhere, saint of God, somewhere, young person, somewhere, mom and dad. You gotta sell out. And you gotta buy into what your preacher's preaching. You gotta buy into the truth that has been handed to you. Or you won't make it. I know I'm preaching to the young people on Monday night, but we could have youth revival right here. 
What would happen if the apostolic young people rose up and said, you know what, we're not taking it anymore. We're not ashamed to be apostolic. We're not ashamed to be one God. We're not ashamed to talk in tongues. We're not ashamed to stand for this way of holiness. We're not ashamed. We're the people of God. What would happen if a generation of young people would stand up boldly and declare, I'm a one God, apostolic, tongue-talking young person. My God, I live in the land of the mega church on my street are three churches that are 5,000 plus they got everything imaginable they make fun of my Pentecostal preaching they make fun of our apostolic standards They, they make fun of this way called apostolic truth and holiness they're cutting edge and people from all over America fly in to see how they do it. They're sure not ashamed to make fun of us. We just tuck our heads and take it. What would happen if our young people got as bold as their young people? What would happen? Well, I'm a preacher to you young people right now. What would happen if it was the youth group from the Pentecostal church that showed up at Starbucks with Bibles? Oh, they're all over my town. They're having Bible studies at Starbucks all over my town. Where's the apostolic young people? What what would happen if you decided, you know what? I'm going to start me a Bible study at Starbucks and and win some people to God. Who, Who could be the first one that when cynicism starts at Applebee's, who could be the first 18 year old to look up and say, hey, we don't talk like that. When they start tearing the preacher down at the kitchen table, who could be the first one to say, uh, 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 wait a minute, that's my pastor you're talking about. You know what, I got a feeling tonight, there's some people here that are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brother Holmes, I don't know what you had in mind, but I'm just going to do what I feel. You invited me, so I'm just going to do what I feel. I see a generation that is being captured by these strange voices. And I'm taking aim at it tonight. If you're in this room and you're under 30 years of age, and if any part of this has grabbed your spirit tonight... And maybe just a little for a moment. Maybe you're going to be a little timid out there. But right now, you're feeling a little faith. And you say, you know what? God, give me a holy boldness. Let, let me take a stand like I've never taken a stand. I, if you're here, I want you to get as close to this altar as you can right now. 
If you're ready to take a stand for apostolic truth and are not going to be pushed anymore, say, you're not pushing me, friends. Family, you're not pushing me. You may have to cut some folks off of your Instagram. You may have to cut some Twitter friends off and some Facebook friends. You may not hang out at the Starbucks with them anymore. But I promise you, for everyone you give up, God will give you ten new ones that will stand with you. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, when you get here, throw your hands in the air and say, God... I want to love this truth. I want to love this church. I want to love what my pastor preaches. I want to love the truth that my mom and dad gave me. I want to love this apostolic truth. I want to stand for it. I want to believe it. I don't want to be contrary to truth. I don't want to be contrary to doctrine. God, I want to embrace the things that you've given to me. Come on. Come on, is there some saints of God, some moms and dads, some preachers that are praying with these young people? Come on, we need to raise up a new generation of faith. We need to raise up a new generation of apostolic believers. Come on, young person. Come on, throw those hands in the ears and surrender. Surrender, surrender, surrender. Not my will, but your will be done. Come on, come on, you can do it. You can do it. You can take a stand on your high school. You can take a stand in your college. You can live for God on your job. I know you may be the only one, but stand, 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 stand. When you've done all the stand, stand.
He's in love. 